Alex Junior Urso. Alexander Pato. Junior Urso through the middle, scores! And silences the Timbers army. Again, Otori, great work, gets the return from Anthony Robinson. Robinson will hook that cross in, Pulisic! Oh, lovely hat-trick, what a night! And welcome back to the Orlando Soccer Show, everyone. My name is Austin David, Kyle Foley is here, we're getting through the bulk of the intros without any muss or fuss because we got a lot to talk about today four games happened this weekend orlando city orlando pride ocb started their season and the u.s men's national team played at exploria god there was a lot of stuff going on i am tired still this is tuesday we're recording this and i still haven't gotten over this past weekend kyle uh, you weren't at any of the games, but you watched the games. How are you feeling? I just learned that today was Tuesday, <laughs> so that 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 might tell you where I'm at mentally. <laughs> um, and just as soon as you said that, I had this giant feeling of, oh God, it's only Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, time is meaningless at this point in in our lives. Everything everything is. Eat Arby's. Obviously. Dude, I could go for some Arby's right now to go along with my Hard Mountain Dew, the unofficial sponsor of the Orlando Soccer Show. It used to be White Claw, and now it is Hard Mountain Dew. That's the next claw cast, by the way, is mixing in Hard Mountain Dew. Oh, 100% for the, the claw cast finale. Oh, 100%. Got to get all the winners together and then mix in the Mountain Dews. It's all right. Got inside baseball. Let's get back to the soccer. Orlando City played in Portland three hours before the U.S. men's national team played, but that was Sunday. We're going to go chronologically here and talk about Orlando City B first. God, what a shock. We're going to talk about Orlando City B first? Well, guess what? Outside of the U.S. men's national team, they're the only team in Orlando that won this past weekend. So yeah, let's talk about the team that won. OCB announced their roster just a couple days ago, and they got a couple of loanees from the MLS side. So the debut of MLS Next Pro here in Orlando, well, Kissimmee specifically, uh, went off to a uh, interesting start. Let, let's put it this way. Uh, there were two red cards, two goals scored, and from what I heard from uh, people on the internet side of things, uh, they were having struggles trying to follow the ball. And let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about all of what happened. So first off, OCB played the Chicago Fire FC 2, which was also their first game in MLS Next Pro. In terms of the lineups, OCB went out with uh, some expected names. Uh, Alex Freeman, Wilfredo Rivera, and Jack Lynn all being loaned down from the MLS side to play in this game. Outside of that, Brandon Hackenberg and Nick Taylor, who were draft picks, also played in the back line. Nick Taylor played as the left back. Hackenberg, center back. Freeman, right back. Uh, Wilfredo Rivera playing at the number 10. And Jack Lynn all the way up top. Uh, outside of those guys, which were kind of knowns, uh, less known players. So if you followed OCB in the past, you may know the names. Moises Tablante and Gonzalo Agostoni Chagas were the wingers for the game. Tablante. Honestly, he was he was very impressive in his time with OCB in 2020, uh, and I thought he had some some good moments 
in this game for OCB. But, uh, you know, first game. Uh, a lot of missed opportunities for OCB. They probably could have been up 4-5-0 to five, nothing if they had finished some of their chances. And they could have been down 3-4-0 to four, nothing if Javier Otero had not come up big in goal. Outside of that, it was a second yellow card to Eric Ganera in the second half that brought OCB down to 10. Uh, meanwhile, the second, uh, it was a straight red card for uh, Justin Reynolds in the second half for Chicago. Now, the funny thing about Reynolds is uh, he played a total of three minutes in the game. He came in as a sub for an injury and then immediately got sent off with a studs-up challenge. So that was fun. Now, other names that you probably may not have heard about. I talked about uh, Javier Otero, who's, by the way, 6'6 in goal, and he is still very young. He's 19 years old and he's six foot six, so there's potential for him to grow, which is just kind of mind-boggling. Uh, David Bacuzzo, who's uh, one of the academy players, played as the other center back. And then in the midfield, there is one Diego Pareja. Now, you may be wondering, oh, Pareja, is he related to Oscar? Yeah, you bet he is. That's Oscar's son, starting for OCB. Now, somebody tweeted at me, oh, we have another Harrison Heath situation. And I can confirm that Diego is is probably better than Harrison Heath. Um, he, he put a few steps wrong in the OCB game, but he didn't look overmatched. And um, he looks like a, a promising talent that can be kind of nurtured and worked on. Uh, he is 21 years old, so he's on the older side of some of the players in OCB, but you know, this is this is really his first opportunity playing pro, and uh, he didn't look like he was out of his element. Well, and and he's also playing for the the B team. I mean, yes. it's not like it's not like he's coming in and getting minutes on the MLS side. No, like no. I, 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 I mean, Harris. Th- that was the thing. Like Harrison Heath was playing for OCB too when Adrian was well, coach. Sure, but also also was showing up for the for the the top side. Yeah, very occasionally, yes. Right, I think I think it is different. I also I have no problem with a coach's son playing for the the youth or the B teams or anything like that. I think that's that's pretty common. Most places, I mean, they're especially if if the kid is going to live where their parents are. I think them joining the club, being a part of it, if they play the sport, is is totally normal. Now, if they were getting like starting minutes, if he was getting starting minutes for Orlando City, then he'd be like, oh, okay, what's going on here? But mm. who cares? He's playing for OCB. Whatever. Yeah. Well, at least you're not Phil Neville. I I I could say that for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Although he does make more money than me, so you know maybe I could be Phil Neville. Well, there was a rumor uh, in the early part of the preseason for uh, Inter Miami that Phil Neville was going to sign his son to a first team contract, and from what I heard from many people in Miami, they're like, "Well, he's not good enough for a first team contract. That's a, he's that, barely that's good enough be- for Inter, like the B team." That's only because Miami's like not allowed to sign players anymore. That so that's like their only option. Yeah, (laughs) that's maybe less less skill wise and more just based on availability. Phil Neville going, oh no, we have to sign my son. What a shame. Anywho, back to OCB. Uh, Jack Lynn scored the two goals for the Young Lions, uh, both set up by Wilfredo Rivera, who again looked really decent in that number ten role. There were moments where it looked really bad for uh, 
OCB and there were moments that looked really good for OCB. And for the first game, when I talked to Martin Perlman, uh, after the game, the head coach of OCB, he was basically saying the same thing. It's our first game. Some of these guys have never played a professional minute before. And heck, I'm pretty sure... Uh, I think every single player that was on the field did not play a professional minute before. Oh, no, no. Tablante has... Yeah, Tablante has. Uh, Wilfredo has. Alex hasn't. Hagenberg hasn't. Taylor hasn't. Otero hasn't. Augustoni Chagas, I don't think, has... Yeah, okay, so just a couple. Still, point of the matter is, uh, it was the first game, and they won. So that is progression. And one of the things that uh, Martin told me is that... What was the uh, analogy that he used? It was a really kind of unique analogy. He said that OCB was the belt that holds up the pants of the MLS team. And by that, he meant they are an extension of the MLS side. They train the same way. They train the same tactically so that you can go from the MLS side to OCB and not have any adjustments in terms of where are you supposed to be in this situation or where are you supposed to be in uh, when the players got the ball on this side. It's all the same. And I think that is that is important to have that kind of cohesion within the two teams so that you can go from one to the other. And, you know, guys from OCB will be called up to the MLS side to train with them, not necessarily play with them, but train with them. So there's no big gap in terms of where do you have to be and where and when. So that that is kind of a benefit to uh, to OCB as well. I just found the, the pants analogy kind of funny. It's very I mean, unique. Does that, imp- does that imply that if OCB is bad, then Orlando is getting pantsed? Ooh. Hmm. Because I don't know if that's the analogy he wants to go with. No. No, but I don't I know if he's really thinking. I don't know if he's thinking that far ahead, Kyle. I think you're I you're, like, you're you're getting ahead of it. I'd say like maybe they're the socks. You can go without socks, but you want good a good pair of socks really completes the ensemble. Hmm. So you want a good pair of socks. Yeah, but they don't hold up pants. Well no, but I don't want to be team holding up my pants. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, OCB, like I said, um, the last thing I wanted to talk about them is the broadcasting situation. Now, uh, later in the week, I'll have an article out on the Orlando Sentinel kind of going over all of the stuff that is with MLS Next Pro and their plans, but I'll give you a bit of a teaser. So I talked to the president of MLS Next Pro the other day. The president of MLS Next Pro is Charles Alchek, and he has been with the league since 2014. This was MLS regular, not MLS Next Pro. So he's been around since Orlando City's been around, basically. He came into the working for the league as soon as Orlando City got their expansion bid. So he's seen kind of the growth of, of Orlando City, and we kind of talked a little bit about that as well. But we also talked about this new league in MLS Next Pro. Now, here is something that really stood out to me in our conversation. First off is the broadcasting, and, and, and this is kind of how they're doing things. They will have select broadcasts that will have a full-on broadcasting crew with multiple camera angles and have replay, etc. But for the most part, most of these games will be controlled by a remote control camera that is programmed to follow the ball. So for those people complaining about the cameraman at the OCB game, there was no cameraman. It was just a con- 
computer-controlled camera that was set to follow the ball and movement. So that that was kind of a, a test run for it. Funny enough, the Exploria Stadium actually has the same thing. It's 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 used for tactical camera um, film development and such. But they're using this one to stream the games. And the broadcasters themselves are not on location. They are remote. So it's definitely an interesting time to try and broadcast a game from a remote-controlled camera without replay and also not having like a zoom function or anything to see who's playing where. So if numerals on players are not legible, uh, you as a broadcaster are kind of up a creek. I think that's the nicest way of putting it. The other thing that was interesting when I was talking to, to Charles Alchek was the vision for MLS Next Pro. As of right now, every MLS team will have an MLS Next team. So right now there's 21 teams. There's going to be uh, a couple more added on in 2023 when Atlanta, Austin, Charlotte, LA Galaxy 2, LAFC, Loudoun, Nashville, and New York Red Bulls join because they're currently playing in USL Championship right now. So when those teams move over, you'll have just about every team that is an MLS team have an MLS Next team. Now, you also have a Rochester team that is, of course, owned by Jamie Vardy. But MLS Next Pro has a vision to add more independent teams. And here's the number that I had to do in my head when he was telling me how many teams he wanted to have. And Kyle, I want your opinion on this. MLS Next Pro could have up to 50 teams over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, MLS Next Pro V2 Machina, whatever (laughs) additional things they'll add to the name, being anything more than just a place for all of the B teams to play is really stupid. Hmm. It, It again gets down to the crux of we are trying to Americanize a sport that's not like there is a clear system of having B teams mm-hmm. that is done in so many other countries that play this sport with all of the B teams play in their own little league mm-hmm. and it's perfect. It works yeah. out. It's it's a development league. It's for all the teams. It's, it's great. They don't have the premier league two, which is all of the U23 sides for the Premier League teams. Guess what it doesn't have? Random teams. independent teams getting thrown into it. Yeah. Guess what else it doesn't have? More teams than there are teams in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. It is set up to basically just exactly mimic the top league just with their youth sides. And it blows my mind that they're here it's more about just how many teams can we add in and how much more money can we make. And less about the actual development prospects of. Well, so I think so, so I think I think I, let me let me stop you right there real quick. So the the one thing is is he didn't say about money. Of course but, he's not going to say that. No no no. Of course but, he's not going to say that. Here's what he did say. He said that he wanted MLS Next Pro to be a a way for under recognized soccer markets to be, be to have teams. One of the things is he hopes that some of the teams that have B teams, like the MLS teams, to not necessarily put those teams in the same market. 
So it's kind of similar to what Orlando is doing with Kissimmee, where it's 45 minutes away from Orlando. And you have that community in Kissimmee that you can kind of build up from to get those people involved in soccer. So, like, if you're a Colorado Rapids uh, team, you don't want them playing at Dick's Sporting Goods Park necessarily. You Maybe you want them to play in Denver proper because you don't have to have that many fans. Or if you're the Houston Dynamo, you can have them outside of Houston. Or if you're uh, Minnesota United, you can have them outside of St. Paul or or you know, any of these kind of different options that you can have is, is kind of expanding your footprint when it comes to uh, your team and your state and your city, which is fine and good. But with other teams that are not MLS affiliated, you know, those teams will be involved in maybe a U.S. Open Cup or in markets that are not very big. I, I don't know if, like, one of the things I asked him was, you know, do you feel like this can sustain is it is it a viable option to just have a a kind of 50 team league without the entire product being saturated and i can't remember his exact response to that and i'll have to go back to the audio to listen to it but well his 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 exact response doesn't even matter because he's going to he's going to bullshit some sort of of course we can make it work of course it's not going to saturate the market it's going to be better for everybody and that's garbage it's the same reason I have an issue with MLS just expanding whenever they feel like adding teams. When a team wants to buy in, just go ahead and expand it, and we're just going to keep expanding until the cows come home, and maybe MLS one day will have 50 teams, and then we'll be okay with that. Like, like Again, if you want to have underrepresented markets represented, here's what you do. You have different tiered leagues, and you have ways for them to move up those tiers without just pouring in more money and buying their way in. And you just do it from a sporting perspective. I wonder if there's a model that any other country has ever done that we could possibly maybe learn from or borrow from. Except, you know, maybe like every other country that plays the sport. It's it's literally just it's literally just show up with money, buy a club, start a club wherever you want, put in the money to it, and if you've got enough money, then we'll welcome you into the club. And what we'll do is we'll have one top league, and then we'll have like all these different lower leagues constantly popping up and you're never going to remember which one is which or which one matters or because ML, there there are uh b teams playing in in uh whatever usl is called now i, I know they changed usl their name championship every years and too. then usl league one so mls next pro is third division of u.s soccer by the way sure i I'm i believe just, you I'm just, I'm just letting you right. know how in the world am I supposed to know that? As in, as if I'm like, well, the, and the, I'm, league, I'm the league is from, like, new. A casual person. The, the league is new right, this I'm, year, so right. it's, it's but, not. And expected. that's and that's and that's what what frustrates me though is it shouldn't be a third division league. It should purely just be a youth slash development league for the top league. If that's what they're gonna, they're calling it MLS Next Pro. They're not calling it like they're giving it a very clear. Oh yeah, this is the the sub league to MLS. Mm-hmm. But then now, they're now, not treating the it thing. that way structurally. Here's the thing, and this is something I brought up with with Charles. The MLS used to have a reserve league that existed from 2005 to 2014. Now they had, you know. A number of teams that played in it they didn't have every team from mls that played in it uh in fact as as the years went on less teams participated in it they just kind of affiliated with usl teams instead um you know it was it was less structured and and charles was saying that he didn't want this to just be another mls reserve league because of how that was then compared to how he wants it to be now or how they want it to be in mls 
Um, but again, we, we can talk more about that later. I'll have the article up on Friday, I believe, uh, at the Orlando Sentinel with kind of more of my conversation with him. So if you want to go check that out on Friday, uh, feel free to do so. We can talk about it when the article comes out next week and when I've, you know, combed through the audio and kind of picked out the nitty gritty stuff. So that that is something we can kind of look into in the future. But uh, for now, we've got so much more to talk about and we spent 20 minutes on OCB. So, in the chronological order, we've talked about OCB winning. Now we got to talk about the pride. Uh, mm. Yeah, preseason, preseason. Um, it, it's it's preseason. Just... Their star player went down hurt. They lost. Yeah, the, the biggest sto- the biggest storyline from the game is that that Marta's hurt and is going to miss some time. That that's that, for me. That was really the only takeaway. Yes. So the team has not officially confirmed it. However, the Brazilian national team, as well as Marta herself, have already confirmed that she has torn her ACL and will require surgery. And considering that not only is Marta one of the best players of all time, but also the team's captain, their workhorse both offensively and defensively, this is a massive blow to the pride on every aspect, to not have, again, one of the best players to ever play the game on the field with them. It, this is a, a massive blow to the team and to any of the chances they really had going forward into the regular season. Now, I won't say that this is going to absolutely destroy their team and, and you know, they're going to finish dead last because we don't know that yet. Um, because honestly, defensively, this team is probably the best it's been in a while. I think Megan Montefusco was an amazing addition. Erin McLeod is, uh, I don't want to say it, but she's been, been playing better than uh, Ashlyn Harris at some points. Kind of kind of almost blasphemous to say that now, but Erin's been great. She's been called up to the Canadian women's national team. Uh, they still have Anna Morehouse available to play, who they brought in from France, English national. And heck, they play tomorrow. Or today, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, which you would be because it comes out on Wednesday, they're playing, as I already mentioned, Ashlyn Harris. They're playing Ashlyn Harris and Ellie Krieger in Gotham FC at home at 7 o'clock. Now, like you said, the biggest story was Marta being hurt. But in their game against North Carolina, they played well defensively and probably could have gotten away with a nil-nil draw because they really didn't create anything offensively. They had one total shot on target. Their defense was solid to the point where it took a penalty to beat the Pride. The Pride still have not conceded a goal in the run of play in their first two games of the Challenge Cup, which is something to build off of. Because if you can keep a clean sheet and somehow get some offensive production, you might be able to win games. But... You know, to defend for 90 minutes and not have any chances offensively is going to be a very hard way to play a season. So we'll see how it kind of runs out over the course of the regular season, which starts in May. But for right now, it's uh, it's a bit of a struggle. You know, and I, I talked with Amanda Cromwell yesterday about what it means to, to lose a player like Marta. Here's the quote. Let me just give you the, the quote very quickly here. Marta is not just our captain. She's one of the best players of all time, so you can't really put into words what she means for us. Uh, but we're hopeful for a speedy recovery, and we'll go from there. You know, not 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 too much in terms of 
substance, because again, the team hasn't officially confirmed that Marta has torn her ACL. However, everybody in, under the sun, including Marta herself, has, has said that. But when you're looking at this team in Gotham, they're doing not much better. Uh, they have scored a goal, which is more than the Pride have, but it's third versus fourth in the Challenge Cup East Division standings right now. Gotham is is a whole one goal ahead of them because they both have the same amount of points. I really don't know how this game on Wednesday will go. I don't think that Orlando has enough offensively, and I don't think that Gotham has enough defensively. It's really a battle of of like an immovable object versus a what's the what's the phrase again, Kyle? The, well, the, what we're looking at here is a movable object versus a stoppable force. That's a better way of putting it. Un- yeah, yeah. It's, immovable it's, object versus an unstoppable force is the normal one, but it's it's movable versus stoppable. They're both so good, and in this, they are... Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting. But yeah. again, you know, preseason. Yep, and and I talked to Sid, uh, Sydney LaRue yesterday because she was talking about the, the chance creation and everything. And... Um, you know, she she said that it, it they need to improve, and you know, she said they're still getting used to each other. They're still trying to figure things out. Some of the little things are still coming together, but she feels they're in a really good spot, and that the Challenge Cup is a place where, uh, and the actual quote that she said was, "We want to win, and that's what we're going for, but also for people to show themselves and show what they have to offer to our team." I think that's very a really good time for everybody to compete. And that's what we want to do. But again, saying preseason without saying preseason. Yeah, it's preseason. <laughs> we talked a little before the show. The only reason they won't call it preseason is because they want people to tune in, which is fine. I get it. Like that's why you. It's why they do. They they do some men's sides too, where they they'll have you know the big European teams come over here and they'll call it the International Champions Cup or whatever and expect people to care and and they don't because it's preseason. Whatever. Like I think more people should watch Pride. I think I think people should be more engaged. I can understand not wanting to. You know, bend your schedule around to watch a preseason game. I've not watched all. I watched the first game. I wasn't able to watch the second one, uh, other than catching a couple of clips and highlights and, and seeing some live tweets about it because it was it was preseason. I had stuff going on, but once the regular season comes in, it's it's more likely that it's, hey, you know, the game's on. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and dedicate my time to this. But I, I don't know. It. I I understand why they build it the way they do. I don't have, I don't have a problem with it. Again, it's it's meaning it's it's somewhat meaningful soccer. And it gets teams a a meaningful preseason. Rather than just kind of playing college teams, it gives them a chance to to kind of tinker with things, get through those first four games where they basically are going to be preseason games if they started the season a month ago. You know, the, the first four games are going to be rough anyways. So when you start the regular season, teams should be in better form and should kind of have themselves figured out to the point where the product on the field will be better. I think that's the the end up end all goal for this challenge cup. But yeah, so uh, the Pride play Wednesday, but they also <laughs> play this weekend against Washington again. So not only the nice thing is they play home away, home away. So this is their home game, and then next is their away game. I think it's uh, what is it Saturday or Sunday? It's a Sunday game. So City plays Saturday, Pride plays Sunday at 4 o'clock kickoff on April 3rd. And that's at Washington. Watch it on Paramount Plus or if you're international on Twitch. 
Um, outside of that, what else is there pride related? Uh, Darian Jenkins, who started the last couple games, she was off to the side. Carrie Lawrence was uh, training normally from what I could see. She had to come out at halftime. Um, there were two other players after training that kind of stuck around for a bit and did some extra work with Seb Hines defensively. But outside of that, there's really no big, like, massive Orlando Pride news other than Marta being injured. So I think with that, we can move on to Sunday. And we'll continue the chronological order and talk about Orlando City Portland, which could have been really good until Andres Perea conceded a penalty. I'm pissed now. I think that was the, the general fan base of Orlando City when they saw the penalty being called because if you go back and look at the video now Andres Perea hasn't played in two weeks because he was out with injury so he's come back in and he's kind of a little bit rusty but when you see the play there's three Orlando players around Paredes and Andres just kind of stabs in concedes a, a penalty that you really didn't need to concede because there was defensive coverage all around him but for a team in Portland that really didn't create too many chances offensively, it kind of gifted them a way back into the game and ends up 1-1. Now, unfortunately, much like the number 10 for the Pride going down, the number 10 for Orlando City went down. Uh, Mauricio Pereira was stretchered off the field after the game. I talked to Oscar Pereja and asked him if there was an update. Uh, he said he didn't have one. He was just hoping that it wasn't too bad. I, as of today, do not have an update on Mauricio Pereira. The team does not have any update on his status or availability. So that is something to kind of keep an eye on over the course of the next couple days. I'll have some updates probably Wednesday afternoon, early evening or so, right before the Pride game. But all things considered, um, Orlando probably outplayed Portland in Portland, which is something I didn't think I would be able to say. Yeah, no, Orlando looked good, and, and honestly, the, the the penalty, like you mentioned, was a was a really bad penalty to give away. I think that was that was easily a game Orlando should have come away with three points from. I think having come away with three points against LA Galaxy, and then coming away with a point here from Portland, though, not half bad for a trip to the West Coast where Orlando has typically been very bad yeah the funny so thing I, the funny thing is they've actually been pretty decent against portland historically like they've had one game where they've been blown out and other than that it's been draws or wins like i think orlando has more wins against portland in their history but how many of those have been in portland i think they won in 2015 they were in Orlando 2016, in Portland 17. I think that was the one they all lost pretty badly. In Orlando 18, and then in Portland 19, and then in Portland in 21, or 22. Uh, the 19 one was a draw, if I remember right. And I think the one at home in 16 was a win. Yeah, I mean, so... like, like I mentioned, though, it's the harder thing is just going to the West Coast and playing. Yeah. Not even necessarily against Portland, although playing at Portland can be pretty challenging. They've got a really good atmosphere in their stadium. Mm. Um, well, did you see? I, I mean, more... the atmosphere was a bit muted uh, as of late because, well, for good reason. Yeah, did you see the the you knew banner? I did. I did. Yeah, they've been holding that up that every very... game now. 
yeah, I um I I don't think unfortunately that the front office cares very much because those people are still paying to go to the games and that while I respect what they're doing, I think it's awesome. I think a symbolic five minute silent protest and then then continuing to engage in support of the team i think and 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 i I want to preface this by saying too i don't think there's like an easy answer for what fans should do and i'm not saying like that the correct answer is for them to just like not show up because i understand from their perspective that's that's i understand how hard of a thing that is to do when you support the club and and i think at a certain point it punishes people that had no involvement in what happened but the only way the front office is going to care is if there aren't butts in seats and there aren't dollars in bank accounts right I just I think that's the that's the sad reality. That's the whole reason they did they handled it the way that they did. Mm-hmm. It's it's for a club at a certain for at a certain point it becomes all about the money and if it's not affecting the bottom line they don't care and if it is affecting the bottom line then they're going to do what they can to protect the bottom line. I think it's I think it's unfortunate. I think the way we've talked about before the way they it's all been handled both by Portland and by the league has been terrible. I I don't envy supporters in in those situations where where I imagine they're very torn about wanting to support the club that they love and also having to deal with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's a really it's a really crappy situation and one where, you know, our front office is actually involved in doing things that are shady unlike other places where front offices have been blamed for things that they maybe didn't do. Right. Uh now I by the way, I did look up the all-time record. Uh Orlando City has uh won one game lost one game and drawn a game in Portland. So it's 15 win, 17 loss, 19 draw, and now another draw. So they're 1-1-2 one, one, and two, if you're going win-loss tie. That's not, that's not a bad record. No. Also, Giovanni Savarese has never beaten Orlando in a regular season game. Neither have I. It's true. Something him and I have in common. Uh, also, now Oscar Pereja is seven six and six all time in his games against the Portland Timbers. That's a that's a significantly more impressive stat, honestly, than Orlando's record against Portland. Because hmm. you figure you figure he's he's coached he's coached the against the more pretty good Portland teams. Yeah, that is very true. Now, um, there were some milestones in this game as well. Some actually really big milestones in terms of uh, club records. In the eighth minute, new. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It, all-time new minutes leader. All-time new yes, minutes leader, Robin Janssen. Now that is kind of surprising because you would think, oh, you know, goalkeepers—they always play ninety minutes. They always play every game because it's goalkeepers. Uh, but no, it's Robin Janssen who is now the all-time minutes leader in club history, who has passed goalkeeper Joe Bendik. That is very impressive from from Robin. Definitely a stat to kind of write home about. There was a stat, and I just have to double-check that it was broken or not, or at least tied. Oh, it wasn't. Damn. Okay. Diego Chara is now two fouls away from breaking the all-time fouls record in MLS. If he had gotten five (laughs) fouls in the game, he would have broken it, but he had three. And I'm pretty sure all of them were against Mauricio Pereira, which doesn't help that he was, you know, stretchered off injured. But all things considered, uh, definitely a, a, a notable stat uh, from that game. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, just just a just a little bit. Another big stat from the game, 
uh, besides the all-time minutes leader for Orlando City, Oscar Bereja coached his 300th regular season MLS match. He is the third foreign manager to reach the mark other than Frank Yallop and Stevie Nichol. It's also it's also a pretty pretty respectable record. Yeah. To get to get to 300 games is pretty good. Oh yeah. Hell of a coach. And has been for a while. And uh, you know now that I'm thinking about it, I want to look up what his coaching record now. Uh Wikipedia? No, no, not not good ones at least. Yeah, it's giving his all time. Oh, oh no. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, need, I need to do math. I need to do math. If if you take out his Tijuana days, then you have he's sitting at 151 wins, 91 draws and only and 109 losses. Just not terrible. No. That is that is not terrible at all. I mean his his time in Tijuana looks to actually have been his worst. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent was segment of his career. It was not good stat wise. So, oh, that's not true. Uh, his tenure with the Colorado Rapids was the worst. Mm. Twenty six wins and thirty three losses. Yeah, that was when he, he he lost to Orlando City, the USL version. That was a U.S. Open Cup match in Orlando. I remember that one. That was interesting. Who would have thought? Oscar Pereja would have been the manager at that point in time. Playing playing the long game. Losing to Orlando so he could one day come to Orlando. It was yeah, that was a decade in the making almost. <laughs> oh man. All right. Anyways, uh, outside of all of those uh personal notable stats, um, Orlando will now play host to LAFC. So three West Coast teams in a row, but instead of them going to the West Coast, the West Coast team comes to Orlando. Now, LAFC this year, uh, they are under new management. Now, do you know who the new manager is this year? Who's the new manager this year? Is Steve Cherindolo. Oh. Do you remember him? I do. Former national team player. For the U.S., played 87 games from 99 until 2012. believe he's in the Soccer Hall of Fame, or at least is potentially going to the Soccer Hall of Fame. Played some in Portland in college, but then spent his entire career in Germany playing at Hanover, where he made 370 appearances. And also coached in Germany for a bit. Um, but last year he was coaching Las Vegas in USL, which just happens to be LAFC's, their affiliate team. Now he is the LAFC coach, and this year, you know, they, they've beaten Vancouver and Miami, but, well, that's Vancouver and Miami. They beat uh, Colorado in their first game, and they tied Portland 1-1 in their second game. So right now, LAFC is actually the top of the Western Conference at 3-1-0, and oh. but they've only played four games compared to some other teams that have played five. And again, they're coming to the East Coast, so who knows? Also, here, you'll get a kick out of this one, Kyle. Guess who's been training with LAFC? Who? One Meta World Peace. Oh, God. Yeah. He is currently training with LAFC. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's something. But no, honestly, LAFC has has got a number of really good pieces. Uh, I again, they're they're LA, so you kind of expect that from them. You know, they've got Carlos Vela, who is the best player in the league, at least one of the top five best players in the league. Still, they have Kellen Acosta, who is currently playing with the national team of the U.S. The crazy thing is they really only have like one designated player, which is Vela. Everybody else is just kind of signings. They have Ismail Dejori Shradi, who was on NYCFC last year. Uh, they have Maxime Crepeau, who was the goalkeeper in Vancouver last year. Got a number of uh, very good defensive players as well, including a Mamadou Fall, who is a product of Montverde Academy. Could have been an Orlando player, but instead is at LAFC. I don't know. I think it'll be an interesting game. Uh, by that point, all of the players that are playing in the year, uh, respective national teams will be back. So Pedro Galese, as well as Facundo Torres and Sebas Mendes will be back from their national team duties by then. Uh, Torres actually might get some playing time for Uruguay now that they have qualified for the World Cup. Uh, they might run out some of their younger players and, and kind of get them some experience. Um and I think for Peru, they need to win their next game in order to make the playoff. And um, I'm pretty sure Ecuador actually. I think they've 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 qualified, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, they've qualified for the World Cup. So, congrats to Sebas and Facundo, and uh, well, Peru, they get to play Paraguay who are not going to make the World Cup, but could play spoiler, depending on how that result goes out. So that's another, if if Peru makes it, that's another potential for Pedro to be out for another game to go to that playoff. Okay. God, I think we've, we've run all of that down. Let us talk about the final thing that happened this weekend, and that is the U.S. men's national team game in Orlando. Boy, that was fun. Yeah, it was. Not only did the U.S. men's national team win, but they won by four goals, which they did in 2017. They won 4 nothing that time, 5-1 this time. Christian Pulisic scored a hat trick, which is his first ever national team hat trick. And he has now scored, I think, four goals in Orlando in his uh, career which might be more than any other stadium? Question mark? Worth looking into. Either way, uh, very entertaining game. Very dominant game. And, um, well, yeah, it, it was it was, it was was fun night overall. You know, when you win by four goals, it's great. The, the one issue that they had at the end of the game, though, is they went over to the wall, gave them, you know, claps and thanks for coming kind of thing. And then they pulled out a banner that said qualified. Qatar 2022. Yeah, that's a dangerous game. Yeah, so here's the thing. They haven't qualified. It would take a lot for them to not qualify. Uh, but flashback to 2017 when they said all we have to do is win versus Trinidad. And then they lost versus Trinidad and didn't make it. 
And this time around, they said, oh, all we have to do is not lose to Costa Rica by five goals. Not saying it'll happen, but God, just just don't don't tempt fate like that, guys. (laughs) You've already done it before. Don't do it again. What do you think of the game, Kyle? Uh, I thought it was fun. It was good to watch. It was what I expected from Orlando. I mean, from 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 the U.S. Men's National Team. Yeah, it's also Orlando. what you expect. Yeah, it's what you expected from Orlando too. They showed up and showed out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely expected the atmosphere. I expected the big win. The the ten- tempting fate with the qualified banner is is risky business, my friend. But the chances of Orlando, it's not as difficult as it was at the last World Cup, where it was you have to go in and win this game. This is just go in and don't lose by six. Uh, which would be. I think not qualifying for this World Cup would be significantly more embarrassing than the last because if you somehow managed to lose by six in Costa Rica, I think at that point, especially with with the you know new generation of players finally actually doing something, it's like okay, maybe uh, maybe we're not that good <laughs> whereas in going into the 2018 world cup it was like well we still got a lot of older players these younger guys are still really young like you could you, there were a lot of reasons why it was like okay it is what it is i see why this is happening um but yeah this one is like it, it's all but wrapped up because well not only do we not have to lose by six if we do manage to lose by six then it's a a, a playoff against a team from Oceania, which is another one of those, like, if you manage to lose that game, also really embarrassing. So the chances of the U.S. not qualifying are very slim, and to screw that up would be just outrageously embarrassing. Yep. That, that, I think that would be more embarrassing than losing to Trinidad because it's literally, if you went ahead and just said, you know what, we're not going to play the game, then they would just, they would forfeit and it would be a three nothing loss which and it wouldn't you would still be enough for costa rica to get above mexico i don't think no 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 it's it's so so so, which i guess i guess honestly maybe you want to let costa rica score like five goals to try to keep mexico in fourth like maybe you want to come to an agreement where we're just because i think costa rica no no that's that's dangerous because then if you're coming to an agreement then that's match fixing it's just a wink, wink, nudge, and nobody's saying anything. You're saying it without saying it. Sounds like because of the implication. The implication. Ah, uh, all right. Well, here's the other thing with uh, with the U.S. men's national team and and Costa Rica, uh, specifically Costa Rica. They have a number of players on yellow card suspension watch. Uh, seven. Last I checked. Yeah, but it doesn't matter going into the last game. Uh, here's the thing. If Costa Rica, it's and it certainly seems like it, is going to the be playoff. playing in the playoff, exactly, I and those players that. get yellow cards in that game, they're out for the playoff game because those carry over. So, there's a rumor going around that they may just rest those players, which are, you know, seven starters. Again, certainly looks like or the U.S. men's national team can qualify for the World Cup on Wednesday, being tonight. But don't don't want to go tempt and fate here. So 
point of the matter is Orlando showed up, showed out for this game. A complete sellout despite the uh, original attendance number being 3,000 less than what it should have been. It was 2522. So 25,022 people total. They had to take a couple hundred seats to give them to media that were traveling. Also, for once, I feel like they didn't lie about attendance numbers. The place actually looked packed. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the place officially holds 25,527. That is the absolute maximum sellout. Like, we've we've talked before about my frustration with announced numbers, where they're definitely announcing numbers way higher than what actually shows up, mm-hmm. which I understand all that goes behind that. So I don't need, like, an explainer on, like, Twitter where somebody explains how it all works. But I, I, I think this is one where I looked at it and went, like, before I saw the numbers, before uh, I think I saw you tweet them out, before I had seen that, I was like, oh, this is a sellout. Like, this is, this is a huge, and this is an atmosphere that rivals some of the more uh, historically associated venues with the national team. So, Orlando, good place for uh, some international soccer. I don't know if maybe there's, like, a, a cup that they play with all the teams from around the, the, the globe, like a, like a the Globe Cup. No, I don't. Mm. Maybe, like, the, the, the World Cup, I think, would be a good name. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe Orlando, good place to hold some games funny you mentioned that kyle because uh that bid for the 2026 world cup to be played in orlando or at least games played in orlando uh is coming up very soon the uh fifa delegations and such will be making their final decisions sometime over the next three to four months and orlando's on the short list there is no way they don't pick the city that is 20 minutes away from disney world to host World Cup games. So here, and he, this is the conversation I was having on uh, Spectrum News 13 last night with uh, with those guys over there. Yes and no. Yes, because they already have the infrastructure as far as tourism goes to house thousands upon thousands of people to come into Orlando. The airport's ready. The hotels are ready. They have all that infrastructure. The biggest thing they don't have is good public transportation to get people to the games. You have uh, the train, but can it carry 70,000 people by train into the games? You know, most of the time, in order to get to Camping World Stadium, you're going to have to drive there and park there. And for a game that is 70,000 people and for as many people that are going to be coming there, um, that's a lot. You know, they've had that many people before, you know, 60-something thousand showed up for the 2015 game for Orlando City. But again, for people that are flying into town and having to rent cars or something, that's a lot of strain on uh traffic and such. You know, there's there's public transportation in Miami, there's public transportation with Marta in uh Atlanta. You have those, these different options of how to get to the games versus Orlando where everything you have to drive to. So that's one knock I against would, Orlando. I- I would say four years is enough time for us to implement something better than Marta in Atlanta, which is god-awful. So the bar for us to clear is very low. I believe that we can do it. Also, have you seen how many people downtown operate those little, like, the the carts on bikes? I think that's enough transportation. (laughs) I think we get people around. Plenty of of hotels for people to stay on 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 Orange Blossom Trail. It's a fantastic place to stay. here's... Oh, Jesus. Here's the other thing that I wanted to bring up. Atlanta and Miami are host city candidates as well. 
Now, those are arguably nicer venues than the Camping World Stadium, which is still pretty bare bones. Now, like you said, four years is a long time for them to kind of make adjustments to things if they get the bid. But Atlanta really doesn't have to do any of that. They have a brand new facility. Everything is state of the art. Oh, Atlanta! Atlanta's hundred percent getting a game. I think it really just comes down to between Orlando and Miami. Mm. There's no way. There's no way Megatron's butthole doesn't get a World Cup game. Yeah, and considering it's a hub of transportation as well, with the Delta flights coming through Atlanta Airport, I think that kind of helps their case as well. And again, it's just a big metropolitan city. But Miami, I. I don't know. I think I think Miami and Orlando are going to be very, very close in terms of who gets the game. It helps that Orlando's hosted a game before, though. I will say that. I think that they've proven it. You know, it was 1994, so you got almost 30 years ago. But still, definitely has to account for something. Yeah, I would say I would say chances are pretty good of Orlando getting a bid, uh, a successful bid in to to host a game. Yeah, let's hope so. And again, that'll come in the next couple months. All right, let us end the show now. We've talked about all the soccer stuff. Let's talk about the other non-soccer stuff. So before we get into our weird news and red card slash playing advantages, we have two things to get through. First is Uncle Iroh's words of wisdom. Are you ready, Kyle? Oh, absolutely. Here is Uncle Iroh's words of wisdom for this week. Why not treat yourself to a good time? Instead of waiting for someone else to do it. There you go. Treat yourself. Excellent. Words of the day from Uncle Iroh. <laughs> oh, excellent. All right. So uh, last couple weeks, we have done Orlando Pride players for where are they now? Because we always like to educate people for former Orlando City and Orlando Pride players. So I think we'll probably go ahead and do an Orlando City player this week just to kind of switch it up so kyle let's take a way back when to 2014 it was a very long time ago one of the first homegrown players to ever sign with orlando city it's tyler turner where are they now you might ask well tyler turner is playing in the masl the major arena soccer league he is currently playing for the Milwaukee Wave. And he's playing as a midfielder. He's actually scored a number of goals in the indoor game. If you remember a couple years ago, back in 2018-19, he played for the Orlando Seawolves for a couple games in the indoor circuit, did score a goal, uh, but ended up going back to the outdoor circuit to play with Birmingham Legion in USL Championship. Now, this year, he has gone back to indoor, He's playing with former Orlando Seawolves teammate Gordy Gerson, who is one of his good friends now. And he is he's played their full season in Milwaukee. Uh, currently, they are just on the outside of the playoff, but uh, still a couple games left to go. And then he's also signed to play on for a, an MPSL side, I believe, or UPSL side, the Iowa Raptors which is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So, yeah. Uh, And just a reminder, UPSL is technically the fourth division of U.S. soccer. 
So that is where are they now for Tyler Turner, one of the first homegrown players in Orlando City history. Now it comes time for our fun part of the show where we end it with weird news and red card slash playing advantages. So Kyle, what is your very weird news for this week? A student from the Hague Art Academy uploads their soul as an NFT. (laughs) Which is shocking to me because I did not know people into NFTs had souls. It's really it. The more I read of it, it's also a really, really shoddy translation of Dutch into English. But a you said it was Dutch into name. English? Yeah. A 21-year-old whose name I'm not going to pronounce has put his soul up for sale as a digital work of art. Hmm. Apparently, uh, my favorite is the that this, this because this is from like a crypto, you know, pro-crypto website. Of course. Only one person can own an NFT unless the NFT is resold. <laughs> my edit here would be or someone right clicks it <laughs> right click save as he wants to, right now his soul is worth uh 0.1 ethereum and an ethereum is worth 2736 so i'm gonna do some quick math here and his soul is worth 27 dollars. that's basically an uber eats order from wawa wow Pretty pretty sad a, for your or, soul. Or, or a gallon of gas. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much right. My weird news is thanks to our own Brad Newton, who sent this last week that we didn't get to. So I'm bringing it back this week. Paralyzed man communicates first words in months using brain implants, saying, I want a beer. A completely paralyzed man who was left unable to communicate for months after losing the ability to even move his eyes has used a brain implant to ask his caregivers for a brewski. That's a legendary. Yep. It's a man he also right he also asked to listen to the band Tool very loudly, requested a head massage from his mother, and ordered a curry all through the power of thought. Uh, since 2019, he has been in a locked-in state as a result of ALS. Yeah, he is uh, only 36 years old, so very sad, but also... Uh, Good for him for asking for being able to uh, to communicate again. Yeah, I hope he got that beer. Oh yeah, intravenously though. So I feel like that's the best way. Inject it straight into the veins. <laughs> All right, so that's the weird news. Red card slash playing advantage, Kyle. Oh, of course, of course, I'm prepared. Uh, mine is a, a twofer. Oh, it is both a red card and a playing advantage at the same time to the same entity. So I'll start with the playing advantage, which is to Kirby and the Forgotten Land, which is the new Kirby game that came out last week, which is amazing. I didn't know if a game could get me to just like stop wanting to play Elden Ring. Kirby has done that. It is it is the first 3D Kirby game, like 3D adventure Kirby game, which is which is great because it's amazing. Uh, it's not the first game that they've done. They've done some, they did some things on the the 3DS where they tried to use the 3D gimmick, but this is like a it's not a platformer. It's it's more like the Super Mario 3D games in terms of play. So super, super fun. They've added some of the different, like, iconic Kirby powers have different um, upgrades and some really cool things. So it's awesome, right? So I was really excited. There's also a co-op, which a lot of the Kirby games have had before. But they made one dramatic change, and that is that Kirby no longer kisses his homies to give them health. In the old Kirby games, 
if Kirby would, uh, and I, I guess this this food sharing mechanic this comes courtesy of Kotaku. The original food sharing mechanic originated in 1996's Kirby Superstar, which is a, a Super Nintendo compilation of of Kirby games. And you could, if you had health that you could share with your your teammate, you could turn around and give them a little little face to face uh, smoochy poo. And then in, uh, in Kirby Fighters 2, which just released in 2020, and just the Kirby Fighters game in general, it actually says smooch up above them when they do it. So they have confirmed canonically that Kirby kisses his homies. What a guy. But in this new game, Kirby Forgotten Land, he just high fives his homies. Uh, now, it's possible it could be just a COVID preventative measure. He doesn't want to give the homies COVID. So we're going to have to see. But I believe... Uh, Kirby and the the bandana Waddle D canonically need to kiss. It's just it's just Kirby lore. And I'm my so my red card is the fact that they took it out and I demand an explanation. Okay. Well, as as a uh video game journalist, it is your mission now to start asking questions. I will probably not find an answer, but I'm certainly going to ask. That's all you can do. Is ask. I don't have anything to follow that, honestly. Um, I, I think that is just the, the ultimate way to, to go ahead and end the show. So with that, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show. Uh, for Kyle Foley, I'm Austin David. We'll see you next week. Pride Sunday, City Saturday, OCB. Who do they play in when? I think they play at NYCFC 2. That's a Sunday at 6 o'clock. And, and that is also at home at Osceola Heritage Park. So uh, three games this weekend for Orlando and probably will be that way (laughs) the rest of the season all right well that's it thanks for tuning in and uh we will go ahead and see you next week goodbye and you're dirty brown water trash and you're always going to be dirty brown water trash